Good evening and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, just a few verses tonight, verses 25 through 34. Um, tonight we'll finish this section and we're going to begin an area that um, is, is really good. It, it's still in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's an area that really deals with cynical, critical, fault-finding, and, and that's one of the problems with the church today. That sometimes the church is finding fault with one another instead of in fanning the flame, encouraging in people's lives. So please tune in next week, and, and I think you'll be encouraged with the message. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you so much. Again, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Help us never to take that lightly. Help us to remember daily that you have sent your son. And Jesus, willingly, you went to the cross. Father, at this season, as so many are open, sensitive, help us to reach out. Help us to speak in love and tenderness and boldness at the same time to those that you are drawing to yourself. We know it's your will that none would perish, but all come to the everlasting knowledge and salvation of you. So Lord, we ask for the, the greatest miracle, and that is the miracle of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I've titled the message, Overcoming Worry. Worry, the, the joy stealer. I don't really need to ask you, have you ever worried? Have you struggled with that? I think every one of us have had that moment in our life. And sometimes moment upon moment and moment. And, and worry oftentimes can make us sick. And it can paralyze you. And that's really important to understand. I know in my own life there was a time I was going through a, a lot of trials. I was not a believer and I was so worried about something that I needed to deal with, I kept pushing it away. And it was exhausting me and tiring me. And finally, it came to the point that I needed to deal with it. When I dealt with it, I go, why didn't I deal with this sooner? I let it rob my joy. And that's what, again, worry does. Worry causes division between people, relationships, we take it home and we, we take it out on our family and our friends. I like what June Hunt said. She says, worry is like a thick braided headband that puts pressure upon the mind, a confining cord interwoven with three strands that distresses of yesterday, the trials of today, and the fearful what if tomorrow. This is a vice grip of worry tragically compresses our joy, cramps our peace, confines our freedom, but this is a constriction that can be conquered. See, we don't need to worry. In fact, worry is a sin for a believer. Worry, when we worry, we're really not trusting and resting in Jesus Christ. Well, let us ask, um, the first question, what is worry? The New Testament uh, Greek word for Murray, it, it describes a person as being anxious, to be distracted, to have a divided mind. And really, it, the, the, the two words come together that make up that word, that Greek word, and it's divide the mind. And not only does it divide the mind and leave us frustrated and anxious it divides the relationships and it drags us through the mud see to worry is to divide your mind between what is useful again and worthwhile and that that is damaging and destructive where you can't see clearly what to do we react in emotions and emotions only See, to worry is to, to block that flow of creative energy and 
that will lead you in that life. Again, Matthew, notice what it says in Matthew 6, 27. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? You can worry and worry and worry, and you can't change the circumstances. In fact, if it does anything, it only makes the circumstances worse because it leaves you paralyzed. Paralyzed doing what could maybe resolve the problem or take that, that fear or that worry or that anxiety away. See, the concept of worrying is conveyed throughout the scripture by numerous words and phrases such as to be fretful, to be without peace, to be anxious, to be distracted, to be concerned and even be troubled, to be weighed with cares, to be distressed and heavy-hearted, and to be despairing. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus cries out, if anyone is weary, this is heavy laden with, with sins, Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is the weariness of of sin and weight upon our shoulders. See, God wants to free us first of the sin of worry, the baggage of sin, the facts of sin upon our lives and our relationships. I like what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious heart. Oh, by the way, if you're following in the NASB, I'm reading from a different translation tonight. It's the NAS 20. It's the NASB, again, just released the 2020. And I'm I'm comparing it, making notes. It's supposed to flow easier. It makes some verses more palatable. Very soon we'll have it on the screen so people can follow. But So if there's a difference, you know where I'm reading from. See, worry is not something, though, that's an inherited weakness. See, I think of my daughter and my son. They, they picked up my good traits as well as my bad traits, but they don't pick up worry. No, no, that's something that we choose to worry or we choose not to worry. And people say, no, I don't choose to worry. You do. Because the scripture is very clear. Cast your cares upon him who cares for you. God wants to take them away from you. He doesn't want you to carry them on your shoulders. And it's important to understand, worry is is simply sin. And that sin is displeasing to God. Because really the underlying fact of this worry is, It boils down to disbelief. It's disobedience. It's destructive, as I I mentioned. It dishonors God, who's promised to provide all of our needs in Christ Jesus. So when we're worrying, we're we're not believing that God can handle it. And sometimes we don't realize that we're serving a little God when really he's a big God. Nothing is too difficult for him. I love that verse. The things that are impossible for men are possible for God. And what we need to do is learn to give it to God, to let go and not take it back. See, Christ is all-sufficient. The book of Colossians, that's one of the main themes it teaches, the, the sufficiency of Christ. He is sufficient for every one of your needs. His grace is sufficient. For whatever you're going through, he's there. He's for you. But, but you have to let him live in your life. You have to let him take these things from you. And it's a choice you make. See, Jesus here is giving us comforting reassurance that God will provide our needs. It's the most refreshing thing We didn't pass an offering, a plate, or a basket. We didn't want people, some people feel manipulated that they have to give. And we don't want people to feel like they have to give, that they want to give. And we've never had to worry or fret 
because God has provided month after month, year after year. We've actually been able to increase the money going out to missionaries. And that's because we're focusing and believing and trusting in what God calls us to do. Where God calls, God will provide. When God calls you, he will enable you to do. It's simply casting your cares upon him. So worry is really unfaithful because of our master, knowing who he is. Again, in the Gospel of John, John 17, it talks about eternal life is knowing God, the true God, and Jesus Christ. When you know God, there's no need for worry. God will provide and God will take care of those needs. Whatever it is, whether it's emotional needs or physical needs, it's financial needs. And we're going to look at it. We can abuse that and God won't provide because we're abusing it. But when we follow God, when we trust in God, when we rest in God, God will provide. Well, look with me in our text, Matthew 6, verse 25. Notice it begins with, For this reason, he says, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you'll put on. And he goes on, Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? When Jesus says, Do not be worried about your life, he doesn't mean that you, you should not think about or plan for the future. But he's talking about not being anxious about tomorrow. About whatever's going on in your life. Because he knows and he understands. See, the language here where it says, is life not more than food? It's the way that the rabbis, it was their style of argument. They would always answer a question with a question. They always tried to get the, the people to think. And that's what's happening in this text. Again, it's reasons that if, if God does a greater thing for us, won't he do the lesser thing? Won't he do this little thing? This, this is insignificant. While it's important, God is able and that's important to understand. If he created you, which is a great accomplishment, he's certainly capable of feeding you what would be the, the lesser thing. And it's out of a heart of love that he created you and me, and he created us, think about this, and we'll talk about it more in a second, in the image and likeness of himself. The nature, the character of God. But we're not God. We were created in creature-like holiness. We're the crown of creation. So it's important to understand that, that God had a, a plan for us. And this is important to understand as he spoke to Israel. If Israel would just do it God's way, then God would provide. Let me read Deuteronomy 15.4. However, there will be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. God had made promises. If we read the whole context, there was a condition. If you do this, then I'll do this. And this will never be completely fulfilled until that millennial kingdom. It never be completely fulfilled when us, the people, the church begin to act like the church, love is the church, be obedient to the very word of God, reach out and love those that are unloving, reach out to this world and minister instead of turning and walking away. See, worry is unnecessary simply because of our heavenly father. Our father's in heaven. He sent his son and that's so important. So why do we worry about food? In fact, look with me in verse 26. He gives us an example. Look at the birds of the sky. That they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather crops into the 
barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than them? See, the significance is put upon you, created in the image and likeness of God, that crown of creation, created higher than the animals, not putting down the animals, they are important, but the importance that God has put upon you and me. See, Jesus here reverses a previous argument and, and, and reasons here. If God bothers to do the lesser thing and feed the birds, won't he feed you and me? Won't he provide for you and me? And yet, at times we can worry, we can fret. How are we going to do this? And God will provide. Sometimes he provides in a way that you and I don't really like because it makes us uncomfortable because sometimes it deals with our pride. See, all of us struggle with pride. God's all into character, molding and shaping you. And he leads us into difficult times, sometimes that we have to trust him. And then he shows his faithfulness to us. And that he does provide. And what happens so often is we forget his faithfulness. Well, Jesus gives us two greater reasons. Again, in, in verse 28, this is look at the birds. In verse 28, consider the lilies. To show that since God cares for these birds and the lilies, how much more will he care for us? I know the words are easy to understand, but the question is, will we choose to believe? Will we choose to trust? See, that's the thing. Will we put our faith in Jesus Christ? We say we can trust him for salvation, but we can't trust him for the little things in this life. We know that he's going to, to raise us up one day, whether it's from the grave or he catches us up in the rapture. But he cares about every little detail in your life and mine. He says, all that he says, all of this to say that human beings are more value than that of the animals. Because again, only human beings, again, were created in the image and likeness of God. God created them and gave them dominion over all of creation, which is the animals. God has a relationship with man. Can he not provide those little things for you and for me? He demonstrated his love for us on the cross as he sent his only begotten son, who died for us while we're in our worst. Again and again and again, God is revealing his love for you and me. And that love is always a sacrificial love. God is always giving of himself. See, this is all because God loved the world. That means every man, every woman, no matter what their background, no matter what they've done, he sent his son. He gave his only begotten son to die upon the cross for our sins. And we believe that by faith. Can he not provide our personal needs? See, sometimes we're worry, we, we, we see that worry is unreasonable. It's based upon emotions. It's not logic. We get caught up in these emotions and they, they carry us away. And as I mentioned in my own life, they, they leave us paralyzed until we're forced to confront or become desperate or come to the end of ourselves and, and cry out, God, save me. He's been waiting for those words the whole time. Maybe tonight, those are the words that you need to cry out to him. God, save me. Now, this is not advocating the, the sinful kind of idleness. In fact, let me read from Proverbs 19, verse 15. Laziness cast one into a deep sleep, and a lazy person will suffer hunger. 
And then in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, and I'm only going to focus on that last part of it, it says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. See, God's not going to provide for that one that refuses to work. There are those today in a difficult place that don't have work. He's not talking about that. He'll provide for them, whether it be supernaturally or through a brother, through a sister. He will minister to them. But that one that chooses not to work, chooses just to to manipulate and take advantage of, Sometimes God will not provide for him for a long time because God is disciplining him, wanting to bring him to his senses that he would come to the end of himself and cry out to God. And sometimes we get in the middle of what God is doing. I'm always concerned. Lord, is this something you want me to be involved in? Because if God's moving, I don't want to get in the way of what he's doing. So sometimes there's a, there's a need for discipline when, when people are idle, and he's not talking about but that kind. He's talking about those that are trusting and those that are resting and those that are believing him. He will provide those needs. So we must be careful that we're not getting the way of what God's doing. Again, there are legitimate needs in this community, in every community, wherever you are, and we're to help if we can. If God provides, we should be the most generous giving people. I like what 1 John 3.17 says. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? See, many people deceive themselves. They profess to be believers, but they don't possess that relationship, even that knowledge of God. That faith in God and trusting and resting. Naturally, sometimes we become those instruments that God will use to provide those needs. I remember when I had my business for years and I moved back to Hawaii, there was a stripping away of the pride of my life. I was put in some of the most uncomfortable situations to receive instead of giving. And while I was blessed to give, It's hard to be on that receiving end. And sometimes God puts people again there for that very purpose of humbling them. And it seems embarrassing, but that embarrassing part is my pride. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. But see, an important thing, and we see it here in the Sermon on the Mount, the key, one of the key thoughts here is in our text there, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's saying, seek salvation. Now, in the context of the Jewish people, seek first the kingdom. They were expecting that millennial kingdom to set up. The promises that would be fulfilled to Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. They were looking for that. We'll seek that. And his righteousness. A right standing with him. But more than just that is that we would live this righteous life. The righteousness of God. He says when you do these things, all these things will be given to you. All these things will be provided for you. We'll worry about longevity. Look with me in verse 27. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? We all know that. We worry and we worry and we worry and nothing changes. Oh, it does change. Our joy is robbed. We become miserable. We oftentimes make others miserable around us. We're getting in the way of God ministering to us. Today and each day, God wants to minister to you. I love what Pastor Chuck said years ago. And every morning when he got up, he looked to God to bless him that day. Now, he's not talking about the prosperity movement, name it, claim it. 
But the blessings are spiritual blessings. Sometimes they, they may be material blessings. God blessed him richly that he could bless others. But what he was looking for is the hand of God in his life each and every day. He was looking for God to reveal himself to him that day. Isn't that a wonderful thought when you think about it? God, I'm here. What are you going to do today? Knowing that God had been faithful day in and day out, and he will be faithful today and he will be faithful tomorrow. This is the peace that you and I can have when we're trusting in the Lord. Now, there's this thought about worry about clothing. Look with me in verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not labor, nor do they spin a thread of cloth. Yet, I say to you, not even Solomon, all of his glory was clothed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. The last time I was in Israel, I've been itching to go to Israel. It's been a while. When I arrived in Israel, it was later in the season. And what was the most interesting thing about it? It rained like a hilo rain. It was pouring, it was pounding. The places I wanted to go to see were being washed away. And I ended up going in places I'd never seen because I could see it from the car. And then at times the rain would stop. But what I saw was grass like I'd never saw before. I saw wildflowers that were so profuse. I saw another side of Israel that I never saw before. And he's talking about that in every time. I read this passage, I think about that. Now, it's interesting because Jesus revealed the real cause of this anxiety is when the disciples have, notice, little faith. Meaning they doubt the power of God. And this is important to understand, not only the power, but the disbelief that God would actually provide for them. I've heard people say, hey, look, I I know God will provide for him, but not for me. God provides for all of his children. The question is, are you a child of God? Have you been born again? Every father provides for the children. And they give them what they need. And when they need it. Now in verse 30 of that text, it it uses that that phrase, the word grass. It's a natural source of fuel. He describes there for fire. But it's also a common biblical metaphor for human frailty. Let me show you a couple verses really to support that idea. It's in Psalm 37 too. And it says, For they will wither quickly like grass, speaking about people, and decay like green plants. You see the, how he uses this? And then in Psalm 102.4, my heart has been stuck like, or struck like grass and has withered. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. The language is very petrified. And you find that in the Middle Eastern, the way they look at the scripture and you have to stop and think and you, you find these connections. So look at the end of verse 30 again. It says, you of little faith. Could he say that about you? Could he say that about me? I think there have been times when I've had little faith. How much faith does it need to be saved? The size of a mustard seed, but yet we believe that he can save us, but we don't believe he can handle the little things. I like... Hudson Taylor, he was in Australia one time speaking, and he was being introduced as a speaker. And they said, here, here is the illustrious man of faith, and he came out and he was embarrassed. He says, it's not hard to be this man of faith when he has been so faithful to me every single day. God is faithful to you and me. 
Well, look with me at Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, a violent storm developed on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him, and they woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. In verse 27, then the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Now, they had got two things. First of all, when they got in the boat, he says, we're going to the other side. And he was with them. And we forget that, that God is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And he is truly bringing us to the other side. We will go to be with him one day. We will be in heaven with him for all eternity. Now the men walked with them day in and day out, but they had this moment, this lapse. They were looking at the circumstances, just like when Peter walked on the waves, walked on the water, and he looked at the waves, took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to go down. And that's the same thing that you and I can do. And we need to pray, God, help me when I begin to do that. Help me recognize it. That I can confess and repent. Because God, you have been faithful to me. Again, it uses this word, you men of little faith. It's a recurring thought that you'll find in the Bible. In fact, in Hebrews eleven six, notice what it says. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's important to understand. And then in Luke 18, 8, he says something very interesting. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith in your household, my household? Are we men and women of faith? Again, our prayer, Lord, make us men and women of faith. That we trust and we rest in you and you alone. That we no longer strive on our own power. If we try to save our lives, we'll lose our lives. But if we lose our lives for Jesus Christ, then we find life, life eternal. Well, again, I'd like to quote Hudson Taylor. He says there's three great truths. First, that there is a God. Second, that he has spoken to us in the Bible. And third, he means what he says. Now, some people get very angry. Well, God means what he says. No, God means what he says. You and I can mean we're going to do something. I, I'm going to do something and, and things get in my way. Obstacles happen and I can't help myself. But God, sovereignty is in control. God will do exactly what he said, the way he said it. And we can take him at his word. Can you believe me and trust me? Well, in Jesus Christ, you can. But as any human being, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. So we have to commit things to God. Again, Hudson Taylor says, I'm no longer anxious about anything as I realize that he's able to carry out his will for me. It does not matter where he places me or how. That is for him to consider, not me. For it is easiest position that he can give me grace and the most difficult ones, his grace is sufficient. He simply knew God's grace is sufficient. I remember another story about Hudson Taylor. But I remember that his wife in this story that I read, a biography on him, was describing, again, that she had given him the last of the food. She had given, again, all the other missionaries food. And there was nothing left. There was no money or anything and he says, good, we get to see what God is going to do now. 
He looked with anticipation that God was still on the throne. God knew what he was doing. God led him into that place that he could trust him because God wanted to reveal himself. And maybe you're in a difficult place today and God's wanting to reveal himself to you. And like Hudson Taylor, you're going to learn that he's faithful each and every day. It's not, it's not hard to trust in him when you see how faithful he is. Not just to you, not just to me, but those who call upon the name of the Lord. It's so important. Well, worry is, is very unreasonable because, really, of our faith. See, our faith rests in a faithful God. Look with me in verse 31 of our text. Do not worry then, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that all you need of these things. He knows exactly what you need. He knows before you even ask him. Sometimes he's waiting for you and me to ask. He's, he's allowing you to go through a circumstance to, to know that your faith is real. How do you know your faith is real unless it's tested? See, those times are necessary to know that your faith is real and that he is real and that he will provide each and every one of your needs in Christ Jesus. Well, again, what he's talking about here is this obsession with material possessions. It always displays this warped priorities of the of the Gentiles at that time. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. So I say this, and affirm in the Lord that you are no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness, notice, of their heart, they become callous and have given themselves over to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. We see our world moving in that direction today. Recently, I had a young lady come up to me and was talking to me, and she says, I'm, I'm very spiritual. And when they say they're spiritual, it can mean a lot of different things. And in this case, when she said she was spiritual, please understand that. She was just saying she could feel, she was emotional. Being emotional and spiritual are two different things. There are those in the body of Christ looking for feelings, looking for emotions. Faith is something that we rest and trust in even when it doesn't make sense. We believe in God. Now, again, the the key to this not being like the world is very clear in this passion fashion. It's the key to the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's there in, in chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Now, that word seek implies being continually absorbed in the search for something and making something intense, persistent effort in order to find it. See, first, the kingdom. It it refers to his power, his authority, for his purposes, and his way of life. That's different than what most people are searching for, for both here on the earth, but also in eternity. It's all about him. What he is doing, and we fall in line what he's doing. Notice with me in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God reveals himself here. And he says in Isaiah, again, 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God thinks so differently than you and I think. 
So when we're seeking him, we're seeking to know his heart and his ways, what's right. See, our personal desire should never get in the way of what God wants. See, first in our individual lives and then in the churches. I like what Warren Worsby said years ago. As a pastor, he said, the best thing I can do for the church is everything for my family. The best thing that I can do for my family is everything for the church. You can't really separate the two because they're hinged together. The body of Christ is a family. They're connected. We need each other. We need the fellowship of the saints. Well, it's again important in verse 33. He talks about seek first the kingdom and then his righteousness. Well, what does it mean, his righteousness? And this is important to understand. It's the standard of truth. So what is right and good in God's eyes? Not what's right and good in your eyes, but what's right and good in God's eyes. It means we must make every effort to obey Christ's commands. We've likened the, the scripture again and, and the Ten Commandments because if you apply to all the God's tender, loving commandments, He gives us these commands to protect us, to protect our families, to protect us from disease, from division, for health reasons. Again, that they provided the certain foods that they were to eat and they couldn't eat. Again, He, he demonstrates Christ's standards of truth and what's right, avoiding ungodly practices that would be common of the world. It's letting Christ's love be poured into our hearts, but letting it flow through us. See, sometimes we just want, oh God, just lavish me with your love, and yet we don't want to share that love. God gives that we might give unto others. Notice again with me in Philippians chapter 2, Verses 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work, notice, for his good pleasure. See, there are those that are trying to work, 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 That's not what God calls us to do. Yes, there's good works prepared before the foundation of the world. There's no question of that. But we do them in the power of the Spirit. We do them because God puts that desire in our heart to give our lives for our brothers. I shared this on Sunday, but I think it's appropriate here. It's a quote from Oswell Chambers. He says, it's never do, do with the Lord, but be, be, and he will do through you. See, God cares about the character, and he's building you up into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, and then he can work through you. That's the principle. But that's hard for us to understand, because we, we tend to be busy. There's probably a bunch of Marthas listening and watching tonight. In fact, in Luke 10, 41, you know what I mean, But the Lord answered and said to Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. So busy. Sometimes we just simply need to lighten up and let God live through us. See, what Jesus is doing is urging us to seek salvation. We are his workmanship, but seek to present ourselves before him day in and day out. And that's important. Look with me at Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will we not also with him freely give us all things? A reminder, again, of God's love. He he will give, he will provide exactly what you and I need. We need to knock on the door. We need to cry out and, and, and seek him. We need to ask and ask with the right motives and, and God will provide. It's in Philippians 4.19. It says this, and, and my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. 
When we begin to think about these verses, why do we doubt him for a moment? How can we doubt him when he's been so faithful generation after generation? 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, having cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That's one of the most amazing verses. God cares for me and he cares for you. The one that spoke the world into existence and there are millions and millions of people that have been on this planet, and yet he cares for you. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head or hairless, whatever it would be. He knows. He understands. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what stresses us, and he knows what gives us perfect peace. He knows whether you need a mate or you don't need a mate. And he's working in you. And working in me to accomplish his purpose. And at that right time, he brings all those pieces together. Again, disciples who value really the reign of God. See, we make him Lord, and then he is to reign over our lives, every area of our life. As believers, we're to diligently pursue that righteousness, living a life that trusts completely in him and upon him. It's then that we experience that, that satisfaction, that he satisfies those needs, not our greeds, but our needs. See, when God's people worldwide do this, and it says all these things, referring to what? Food, drink, clothing will, will be given as well. Now, this is not a promise that the, that the faithful alone will, will receive. This is for every person who just trusts in him. Not just those that are more spiritual. But every person that calls upon his name and trusts him, he, he's going to provide for them. And again, I want to repeat that thing that I said earlier, that sometimes you and me are that very provision for our neighbor, for a friend, for somebody that he might bring into our lives. I remember there was a brother one time. Sometimes it's not always material things that people need. I don't know how it worked out, but it worked out. This guy came over to my house. It was Christmas time. He had no place to go. We sang some Christmas songs. We had a meal together. Years later, he's still talking about the fact, I can't believe that I was an ice head and all these different things, and, and you had me over to the house. Sometimes people just need to know that you care. And that God has something more for them than the life they're living. I think back, some of those situations God's put me in, and probably you too, to know that God could use you and me, and we're those vessels. God had promised to Israel if they would only be faithful to him, if they'd only trust him, he would provide all their needs. He would bring the rains at the right time. But if they didn't, they would be disciplined. And again, as I mentioned, sometimes God is disciplining people. Well, again, look at thir verse 34. See, we see... Worry is unwise because really of our future. That's what it's talking about in, in verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough of its own trouble. <laughs> I think we all agree with that. Sometimes we start on the right foot and it, it just seems like it goes downhill from there. But God's in sovereign control. See, Jesus didn't prevent providing for the future. No, he didn't prohibit that. But he wanted us to focus on the minute. Don't, don't spend all your energy on, on tomorrow. Because there's enough problems today. If, if you can lay up for that, that that's great. But don't, don't let that be your main thing. Don't worry about tomorrow. Deal with what's here in front of you today. That's important. 
he urges in disciples instead just to focus on the challenges in the present. Worry will cause us to turn away from those challenges, to avoid those challenges. See, that's what the culture was like in that time. We think of them always as poor, but there was a lot of money, a lot of influence at that time, and affluence. That's life, and afterlife is saying that it really has no meaning. Because it's only the moment itself. But if you've been born again, you know that you have eternal life and that eternal life is in Jesus Christ. You know that he's coming and he's coming again and he's coming for you personally, individually, and congregationally and corporately, the the church, wherever it is in this world, and he'll take us home to be with him forever. And really the test for you and me is where we're at today. Is it, is it about things or is it really about Jesus? What do you invest your life in? Your time in? Your money in? Is it the kingdom today? The kingdom tomorrow? Or is it this world that one day will be burned up For us, we should make it our ambition to see the kingdom of God, his righteousness, knowing that he will provide each and every need. There's no need for worry because God's got it. He'll take care of it. We don't need to worry about it. We just need to seek the heart of God. Well, let's pray. Father, Thank you again for your word that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It convicts us at times. It encourages and refreshes us at other times. Your word is truth. You said what you meant and you meant what you said. And we're thankful that we can rest and rest in you And we don't need to strive in this life. We don't need to try and save our lives. But we need to lose our lives for you. So Lord, we thank you for turning our lives around, pulling us out of the mire, setting us aside for you. Lord, have your way in our hearts tonight. Bless the people that listen to this. Encourage them, refresh them. God, may they bring your light, your love to a world that is so needy and looking for the wrong things. In Jesus' name, amen.